Before we start this week's episode, we want to offer a brief reflection on episode one. As we've said, our hope for this season is to intentionally and actively seek out voices that are typically excluded from these conversations. Minority voices, women's voices, LGBTQ voices, beyond anyone who is seeking us out already. Understandably, more than a few of the friends we've invited to tell their stories aren't necessarily familiar with our podcast or its format. Our only goal is for folks anywhere on the spectrum of spiritual D and reconstruction to feel welcome and to know they're not alone. If there are ever situations that we feel dramatically miss that mark, we want to address them and to own our part of it and to air that for you as we are learning in public how to best support and elevate voices that are different from our own. Episode 1's call was a real Rorschach. Everyone seemed to feel something different about it, but when we realized that the caller herself, our guest, had complicated feelings about what she heard, we felt it was important to briefly address it. For starters, though she knew that our calls are presented anonymously, which we do in hopes of callers feeling safe so that they can share whatever they wish without fear, in the final presentation in this case, it made her feel faceless, hidden. We sympathize with that, and to honor her on that front and so that folks can seek her out and hear more of her story, we're going to break with our normal practice this once to say this. Her name is Sue Ann Shaw. At the conclusion of the conversation, I said that for marginalized people, defensiveness is justified. In fact, it's been essential for survival. But we later realized that while I was trying to move past the immediate context, and to speak more broadly and generally beyond the call itself. It came off as an unintentional description of Sue Ann's tone on that call, which it certainly wasn't. Regardless, it was a simplistic and unfortunate choice of wording that was insensitive to that immediate context. And in hindsight, apprehensiveness rather than defensiveness feels more appropriate, as that speaks more to what we were attempting to describe. In several conversations Sue Ann and Derek had the week before their call, she had expressed a desire to talk about her experiences in the Christian community that she and he had both been a part of for a season. Derek's goal was to hold space for her to tell the story they discussed, along with whatever else she wanted to share, which, as the length of the call grew longer, was expressed as defensiveness and anxiousness on Derek's part. He regretted that tone and how it made her feel in the moment and has since personally apologized to her. All of this is confirmation of some things we've grown suspicious of, that as white folks we have blind spots on every side, and that our fragility is a long thread to unravel that doesn't go away overnight, and that we're learning in public to do something that we weren't taught in church. But we deeply appreciate Sue Ann's willingness to have spent that time with us and the questions and insights and instruction she offered We hope that you seek her out and hear her story on her terms and continue extending patience to us as we seek to fail well, learn much, and do better. On behalf of the team, thanks for listening. And now let's get into episode two. One moment you're surrounded by a network and family of people that you've spent your whole life around, and then the next moment it's like 90% of them have turned their backs on you. I found myself trying to numb my emotions and my feelings because I was so scared of what I was feeling and who I was attracted to because I had been indoctrinated into thinking who I was was wrong, that there was this 
defect in me. And suddenly that moment, like seeing yourself through someone else's eyes, it disagrees with that story that you've been required to tell yourself. You did great. And you did the best that you could. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and re-construction. Season 2, Episode 2. As good as you've always been. Hey, is this- yeah, it is. How's it going? Hey, it's Derek. How's it going? It's pretty good. Good. Uh, oh, it's great to talk to you, and thanks for making a few minutes. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. This is pretty awesome. Oh, man. Well, I couldn't be more grateful that um, to have this time with you. And so we have like about 10 minutes, and tell me your story. All right. Um, so I kind of took some notes down here because there's a great. lot to um, so basically I have this one sentence here that kind of sums it all up. Mm. Uh, the institution that promised to save me, save me nearly killed me twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Y- yes. Okay. Which, and, and I wish I could say that it wasn't quite as, as dramatic and literal as it actually is, but it really is. But it really is. Okay. Uh, so short version of a really long story. So I was raised in church, um, liturgical Lutheran. And then oh, when okay. I went away to school, um, I found myself getting wrapped up in the very evangelical campus crusade for Christ, mm. liturgical Lutherans, Catholics aren't real Christians kind of scene. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I actually got baptized twice a second time and I found myself getting saved, quote unquote, um, when I was 17. And, and really what it all came down to was I was looking for a place to belong. Like I was, I was that awkward, really mm. nerdy average at everything jack of all trades ace of none kind of sums up most of my life um and i didn't even really realize it at the time but i was also struggling with being gay yeah uh and you know the the concept of quote-unquote gay or the gay community wasn't even something that was um a reality as an option to me because i'd you know being raised in a super sheltered world um I never even knew that that was an option. I, um, I dated guys and I just never, I just figured I hadn't found the right one because they all bored the hell out of me. Right. Uh, and so, um, so being involved in that super evangelical side of things at the same time that I was having those feelings really fucked with my head. It, yeah. It kept uh, you from even knowing there was a category of a person who you were. Yeah, exactly. There was no exactly. language. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that, and on top of already struggling with depression, um, mm. basically, led me to failing out of school because I couldn't function, like couldn't even get out of bed most days, um, tried to kill myself, joined a different church, um, and found myself getting really involved with the youth group at this new church that I was, had belonged it with. And I loved it. Um, Hmm. and I was good at it. And I, I was able to connect with this younger generation in a way that, um, most adults really struggle with. People think I'm weird because I'm 35 and the, that teenage age group is like my favorite. Hmm. They have so much passion and so much excitement and so much life in hmm. them. And all they need is just a little bit of guidance of this is how you don't fuck up your life. And do <laughs> right. Things, right. And do you, th- uh, do you think that you're, you're kind of being compelled to, to, to those folks was 
that that I'm just suspicious. I'm, this is a leading question because I mean, what it would feel like to me thinking about it is they're like at peak self awareness and energy, but just shy of the threshold of social conventions and judgment. Oh, absolutely. Which is why absolutely. you probably felt like that was a perfect spot for you, like well, you know, yeah. because uh, like a safe place where you could really be yourself and you could really connect deeply and um, yeah. Well, and it was also, it was, you know, having something that I was never given as a teenager. Oh my God. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like I was never really given permission to screw up and learn from mistakes. My parents were extremely protective, um, and growing up in St. Louis, understandably so, Mm -hmm. um, with, with what happens in that city, but I was never really given the opportunity to explore what I enjoyed or what I was passionate about. And so um, you know, mm. to have that opportunity to give that to a generation yeah. that may have similar experiences was really important to me. To be for younger people what you never had. Exactly. So when there came a point in my life where I knew I couldn't deny who I was anymore, um, mm. I remember it was this um, like late Sunday evening, quote unquote, college age worship service where they had dimmed the lights and had the gentle guitar playing and confessional right. altar call kind of shit. Um, and I felt really compelled to go down and talk to the, to the leader of this about what I was dealing with. And of course the verbiage back then was I'm struggling with homosexuality. Right. Um, you know, and I was, and I had meetings with pastors after that and they were like, you know, you're still welcome to come and worship with us, but until you get this sorted out, you can't work with the kids anymore Mm -hmm. because quote, the parents might be concerned. Right. And I was like, okay, so three days ago, I was a person who was no threat to these kids, who parents were completely fine with their kids calling me at 10 o'clock at night because they were freaking out about something. And maybe the only person those kids are talking to and confiding in. Right. Like, they have a person that they can talk to, and suddenly I'm not allowed that anymore. You say you always treat people like you like to be. I guess you love being hated for your sexuality. You love when people put words in your what you believe, make you sound like a freak Cause if you really believe what you say you believe You wouldn't be so damn reckless with the words you speak Wouldn't silently conceal when the liars speak Denying all the dying of the remedy and you, and you were exactly the same person you had been the week before Just now right. you were inviting them into some of your reality And what you were kind of going through But you were exactly the same person Exactly, exactly. So um, so I ended up leaving that church and trying a couple of different um, affirming churches, I guess is the verbiage. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, so that was kind of around the time that I had, the depression got horrible and I, I, I never made a full-fledged, should have been institutionalized attempt right. with the way that our modern inst- system is set up, but I probably should have checked in for a few days was kind yeah. of my situation. Yeah. Um, but I also found myself going, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be gay. And I went to as many bars as I could go to. And this is kind of the other half of how the church almost killed me mm-hmm. was in, in trying to find comfort in my identity. I found myself trying to numb my emotions and my feelings yeah. because I was so scared of what I was feeling and who I was attracted to because I had been indoctrinated into thinking who I was was wrong and that there was this defect in me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to embrace that. And the only way that I could embrace that was to just get shit-faced right. and do whatever I want with whoever I wanted, yes. uh, which really healthy, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the choices I made during that phase <sighs> of my life were uh, questionable at best. 
Um, but ho- yeah, but but, I, but but so heartbreaking that and and also extremely understandable that you felt like that those were the only circumstances under which you could even try and be this person because oh, yeah. you were not provided any real estate upon which to exist in the other right. world. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That that's a really poetic way of saying that actually. Yeah. <laughs> Classic web. Um. <laughs> but no, I mean that that makes I mean it's it's heartbreaking, but you know that that you know, like you, you were actually behaving in a way, I, I, and I mean, you know, it, consistent with who, like you were, you were trying to figure yourself out and who you wished to be and who you wanted to be with, and yet you were forced into having to go through that in order to even allow yourself those moments and to even yeah. try that on. And it's, and it, and it speaks to how powerful those narratives are, you know, that you were coming out of. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm luckier than forty percent of the LGBT community because I'm still alive. Wow, God, yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality of my community is that um, you know even the statistics of homeless youth, mm-hmm. um, it's something asinine. Like forty nine percent of homeless people between the ages of seventeen and twenty four, forty percent of them are part of the LGBT community right. because. They either felt like they couldn't be who they were at home, so they ran away, or they were just kicked out. You know, and so now they're living on the streets, and they've got no other option. So these are people who have had their education robbed from them. They've had their housing robbed from them. They've had their safety robbed from them, all at a time in their life where they should still have that safety net, and they don't. Well, not only should should they still, but at a time when they need it more desperately than ever. Oh, absolutely. Because if... yeah, because if you're going to go through a season, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know this firsthand, but my friend, just between, you know, trying to relate as I can, and 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 especially with a lot of the stories that my great friends have shared with me who have, it's like that is a moment, and and it and it and it applies to spirituality too, as much as those other things. But at a point when you are essentially, you're finally allowing yourself a moment to, you fought your way to a moment where you are reassessing fundamentally who you are and yeah. how you, how you operate in the world. And, um, and at that, at a moment like that, that's the moment that that would be almost impossible when everything else was locked down solid. Right. But to have everything else being pulled out from under you at the same time and to try and it would be like trying to you know, tie a, a, you know, tie a bow tie during a free fall. It's like right. there, 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 there's, it's, you just can't do it. Like there, everything can't be free falling at once. Like you, right. and so I can't imagine how hard that, yeah. that must've been. Um, and how that is for so many, I can't, I can't relate to it. Um, which is exactly why your voice is so desperately <laughs> needed. You know, I mean, that's, that's why your story is so important. And so anyway, so, so continue, you know. Oh, okay. So, well, so I had briefly been exposed to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous through yes. friends who have gone through and their parents who have gone through it. And so I, I had an idea of what the program was and I had gone to a couple of meetings thinking that maybe I might be an alcoholic. Um, funny thing about that, I've never met a non-alcoholic that questions whether or not they have alcoholism. Mm. Um, and so it's that was kind of the first key for me, but I just never cared enough about myself to get healthy. Wow. Yeah. Um, so my last night out was February 24th of 2011. So I just had my seventh soberversary. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thanks. 
Um, but my last night out was fueled with cocaine and alcohol and all sorts of other substances. And, I, you know, the night that I was out, looking back on it, there was actually someone that night who was trying to get me so intoxicated that I wouldn't be able to recognize what he was doing to me. So I more than likely, had I not left the way that I left, I probably would have been raped that night. Um, but I was also so drunk that I couldn't find the stairs to the bus stop. I was out in the mountains of Colorado, so I climbed an ice wall to the bus stop. Uh, texted a friend of mine. I thought the text said, this was back before iPhones and anything else. I thought the text said, you know, hey, I'm going home. Don't bother meeting me. Uh, because in my logical thinking brain at that point, one o'clock in the morning is the perfect time for someone to go, hey, I think I'm going to go to the bar. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but thank God I texted her because I ended up passing out at the bus stop when it was 10 below. And oh she just God. randomly decided to make sure that I was okay because the text was just complete incoherent gibberish. Um, oh. I would have frozen that night. Um, ended up going to a meeting the next day and just like emotionally vomited in this meeting. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. Which was horribly painful and healthy all at the same time. Um, but I remember one of the big pieces of resistance that I had was the third step, which is, um, basically a, a, a the God step. It's, it's about mm -hmm. letting go and letting God kind of a thing. And I remember telling my sponsor, I can't do this step because I don't believe in God. And and she totally gave me space to have that opinion. Um, but she also said, it is impossible to not believe in someone that you're that mad at. Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. The response was, "Fuck you." Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's and that's a that's a wise. I mean, like that's um, that that's that's an important moment. To, oh, yeah. to to uh, and and so that that was that was a, that was wise counsel, but it's like to to not too quickly move through that and to go ahead and reckon with that. But how did you manage to do that and still anchor to it for the sake of your recovery? So so initially, you know, the, the group basically hard things to hold couple, together. It seems. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so basically, the group just calls for some form of higher power. There, yes. So there are people in the group who uh, a doorknob is their higher power because yes. a doorknob serves its basic function. And when I'm drinking, I don't serve any function. Um, so in that moment, the doorknob is a higher power than me. And there are other people, which this is what worked for me. Um, the group becomes the higher power. So collectively, it's yes. a group of people who are able to stay sober. And that's something I wasn't able to do. And I anchored myself to that. Um, and I was going to, you know, I did meetings every single day. If I didn't have to work, I would go to two or three a day just because I needed so good. something. Yes. Um, and it, it was so healthy and so good and so awesome. Um, and, you know, as I progressed through that, eventually I gave myself permission to believe in an actual higher power. And, mm. I, and I don't really give my higher power a name. I just kind of refer to it as the universe. It's, yeah. it's almost like the ripple effect where if I put something positive out into the world, then it's going to ripple off onto other people. And if I put something negative out into the world, it's going to ripple off and affect other people. I think that's true. Uh, and, and, but yeah. do, you, do you ever – because when I hear that – and I resonate with that. And that sounds, that sounds like the, the, the inarguable laws of cause and effect. And it sounds like yeah. the – but it's like I kind of wish for you to have that credit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, kind, I kind of wish for – because what I would want to say to you is like, but you've done these things. Like you, you have fought your way to being healthy and you have fought your way to 
Like, and like it's you putting those good things out and then receiving those good things back. And I want you to have that credit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Which, yeah. And I, and I totally hear that. And I, and I understand I what you mean too. Yeah, yeah. But like for me, I, I know that where I am today is not because of anything yes. I did by myself. Yes. No, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You're, yeah. You're right so, about that. Yeah. So even, you know, even if it's just I, all I, that energy kind of pinging around and ricocheting and then kind of coming back in unexpected ways, you're right about that. Yeah. 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 So that's that's basically kind of my really really short version of you know where I was, where I am now, and it's um, you know I love everything about you know what your podcast is doing and and the other there's a few different ones out yes. there that are kind of popping around because you know I find myself more on the the reconstruction side of. Yes. putting my belief system back together. That's right. Um, but I never really gave much stock to the actual deconstruction. I, I had always just thought I'd stop believing and walked away. Um, but there actually was a very deep systematic process that I had to go through that I didn't even recognize I was going through and probably made it a lot more painful for myself than I had to. Well, but how uh, could you have at the time? I mean, you, right. you, you were too preoccupied with the visceral reality of what you were actually having to survive. Yeah. And that, that is not a point of luxury where you get to go, at a, to go to a coffee shop and think about, is God really, do I really, does God really feel like he's there? I mean, it's like, that's not a thing you could possibly do. I mean, you, yeah. you did great and you did the best well, that you could. The beautiful thing about my story, though, is that there are other people out there like me that are still in deep agony, and yeah. I'm on the other side of that now, and I they don't have to wallow in that alone any more than I had to wallow in it alone. Yes, that's right, and that is ultimately the point. That's, that's why we're doing this. That's why you yeah. and I are here right now. That's why it's ultimately in the hopes that people would not feel alone, and and... And it kind of, and and who the people are and what their particular stories are is of less importance to me than that wherever and whoever they are that they don't feel alone, which is why it became so important to us to disrupt what we saw happening and to to not run the risk of people who who needed to know just the same as anybody else that they were not alone, but yeah. not feeling that because they didn't hear their stories or voices or perspectives present and like. That's why I'm so grateful to you, and that's why I think your story um, is so insanely valuable, and so it's it's going to be so nourishing. I mean, it's like because it, it does take someone for every brave soul who's willing to to tell their story out loud and do something like this. There are dozens and dozens of others who desperately need to hear someone articulate their story to them in such a way that they feel not alone and would never would never seek it out and would never do this and yeah. and that is the great power of your using your voice in this way yeah. um and i'm so grateful to you for doing it um and it's i mean it's encouraging to me it's 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 not surprising to me how much of your story i deeply resonate with i mean there are obviously yeah. parts of it that i could not possibly relate to um, and can't imagine oh. how you managed to survive, but there are some that I, I do get, you know, and yeah. Well, and I think anytime someone is willing to be vulnerable, even if, I mean, cause no two people's stories are ever going to line That's up. That's exactly exactly, right. You know, so, but anytime someone's willing to be vulnerable and put themselves out there and say, Hey, this is the shit that I've dealt with and this is how I'm processing it. And I may not be done processing it yet. And it could be messy and it could be ugly and it could be really uncomfortable. Yeah. 
But this is what I am doing. It brings humanity back to the bullshit that we're dealing with in the world right now. I think and that's, that's true. Really yeah, it, it, it dignifies it and it rehumanizes it and it makes it harder to dismiss and harder yeah. to categorize. And that's exactly what needs to happen right now because you're right, like our culture is moving the opposite way to hyper categorization and mass dismissal. Oh, absolutely. And that and we, we have to resist that. Right. You know. Anyway. Oh, you're the best. I mean, thank you so much for uh, Oh, thank you. for doing this. I and I, and I really hope we have the chance to 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 speak in person um, sometime. And so let's yeah. let's look for an opportunity to do that. But thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. See ya. Bye. Dear Derek and team, I wanted to thank you, not necessarily for something specific, but for the overarching theme of the music and podcast, public honesty. I grew up in the non-denominational evangelical movement, afraid to feel, afraid to think, afraid to question, and afraid to let anyone know I was afraid. My parents' emotional abuse and manipulation only fed into the fear that love was something to be obtained if I performed. And my relationship with God mirrored that. I found music to be the escape. Through writing songs and crafting poetry, I felt release for all this fear that had all but strangled the joy and wonder out of me. As I grew up, those relationships turned bitter, forcing me to leave the home I knew and journey through misunderstanding. The holy men I knew all my life misunderstood my actions. The friends misunderstood my reasons. My family misunderstood the religion I professed and how it led to my behavior. And I highly resonated with a line from the podcast that there were no words or language to describe the emotions I felt. Albums like Stockholm Syndrome deeply resonated with me in my time of feeling misrepresented by the institution, church, and people that had once helped shape me. From there, oddly, the narrative doesn't play out the usual way. Instead of running from the church, I ran to it in the form of a job. I was hired at a young age as a pastor of a large church. With it came a new view of God, a new denomination, and a new freedom. But after five years of lessons learned, worldviews shaped, and recognizing the hypocrisy of the movement, I stepped down. Some of me feels like they were relieved I left. I didn't fit in, since my tattoos were working their way down my arms and my love for whiskey was ruining sanctified conversations, and I was more interested in building community instead of better programs to fill the offering plate. Once I left, the shit then hit the fan personally. There was this cocktail of emotions like failure, depression, and anger. I wasn't interested in doing church when the idea to me was similar to mice on a wheel, just showing up without knowing why. I started questioning what this really looks like from a practical standpoint and whether I wanted to devote my life to it. But within my time at the church job, I found therapy. It gave me boldness to face my fear. It gave me comfort in facing the unknown. It gave me confidence in the misunderstanding. It changed my life. And as I listen to the podcast and resonate deeply with the themes and reality of our community, I am filled with sadness and compassion at the realization that my journey 
has been behind closed doors for the most part. While people like yourself have walked this honesty in the limelight as a scapegoat for the rest of us, for that I'm indebted to you. As I continue walking this journey of discovery, deconstructing and reconstructing my faith and all that is related, I've been convicted that I can't do this privately anymore. This isn't something to hide away from until I decide I've gotten it together enough for public display, but a life I want to share in true transparency. I'm not okay. And that's okay. The podcast has showed me I'm not alone in that. There's stuff I'm not sure about. But I'd rather be unsure together than certain alone. Hi. Hi. It's Jamie. It is. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. I'm excited to be talking to you. Oh, good. Me too. Um, so I'm from Indiana. I, uh, here in Indianapolis, I grew up uh, attending what is probably at one point when I was there, the largest Southern Baptist church in Indiana, mm. um, and my family was very involved, um, very, I think at this point, if this is going to be season two in the airing of grief, people are, are quite familiar with what that culture is like, um, you know, a lot of the same points, um, and then I fit into that very well, um, I guess, uh, sort of like the golden boy, it was just like everything in church came very easy to me. Um, that's where I learned how to play music and ended up being like a worship pastor type. Mm. And from a very young age, like five, I think, even wrote my parents a letter saying that I wanted to go to seminary and be a pastor um, just because I was getting so much positive feedback from that environment. Um, so that was great. And I, I have a lot of still like warm feelings about growing up that way and being in that mm. network. Yeah. Um, I suppose there's cracks started to appear in that in my teenage years, um, when I started dealing with what I later came to describe as same sex attraction, mm-hmm. um, that kind of reared its head, like most people who are gay will tell you, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime yeah. from like, for me, it was probably like 14 okay. and I was like really excited about going through puberty like, for some reason, I was, like, really fixated on that. <laughs> um, and I was just, like, into the idea that I'll eventually start liking girls. Okay. Yeah. And I was kind of, like, observing that in my friends and, like, really excited. Did you think that was, like, part and parcel for going through puberty? Like, something would just shift once that happened? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and it didn't happen. And yeah. so it was just kind of, like, being stuck in limbo, you know. Yeah. And, and not really having enough self-awareness, enough self-consciousness to know that that energy was being directed towards men. Yeah. Um, but it sort of played into my story because as a teenager, I, I was um, around a lot of men who I now know that I was attracted to. Yeah. But, but it kind of just played out as discipleship. And so I was getting like Whoa, good attention. Whoa, that... <gasps> 
Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting good attention that was like nourishing for me from, yes. you know, leaders of the youth group or even pastors of our church. Um, I was very into that. Um, and, and I realized now that that was kind of like the outlet for some yeah. of that yep. romantic energy. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even erotic energy. That's the word yes. that you use on yes. the podcast that yep. uh, I listen to. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's a huge marker in my teenage life. And then even going into college, um, I ended up going to a state school in Indiana um, and getting plugged in with uh, the Navigators, which uh, most people are probably familiar with, but it's a evangelical parachurch organization. It's kind of like okay. uh, Campus Crusade. Um, I would okay. say tending tending to be a little bit more reformed, a little bit more conservative. Um, but yeah, um, and at that point in my life, when I went to college, I was I was starting to break down um, because I was developing the awareness to understand that I was gay mm. um, and not knowing what to do with that. So I remember freshman year, like finally having the gumption to come out to a friend of mine and then the leader of uh, that campus ministry and like just like full on terrified panic attack. Um, but that actually went fine. So my freshman year of college was, um, actually felt very supportive. And I was kind of like under the banner of, I struggle with same sex attraction. Um, I'm developing a network of support with the intention of being like fully open about that. Mm Mm-hmm but I'm still planning on going into the ministry. I'm still planning on finding a wife. I still want to have kids and like, it's going to be fine. And kind of like starting to still kind of approaching it as something that like can be and needs to be solved about you, but you're like, I'm Mm going to solve it. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, um, the, the end of my sophomore year, um, at my home church, so I went to school about an hour and a half away from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, my church called a new pastor. They'd kind of been looking for one. Um, and I, uh, I was still involved in that church, still kind of like leading worship on some weekends and stuff like that. Um, so we, we basically called this new pastor and I thought to myself like, well, I want to get to know this guy. Um, it's still an important part of my network, um, as a person I could learn from in the yeah. ministry. And then I also was thinking like, at that point, my parents needed some support cause I had come out to them as being same sex attracted and they were yeah. kind of like loving and supporting, mm-hmm. but like, what do we do? We feel very alone. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did that and started to develop a relationship with this new pastor um, that was sort of like a discipling mentorship sort of thing. Um, The next summer, I interned at that church under this pastor. um, And I'm going to start to like maybe uh, shorten the story up a little Mm -hmm. bit here, but um, we 
the first month of that internship, we spent almost every day together. Wow. Uh, me and this pastor, and we were developing a really close friendship. And um, I guess I should say this person, the pastor is 45, married, two mm -hmm. children. Yeah. Um, and at the end of that month, I asked him if he struggled with same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. um, and for the first time in his life, he admitted to that. Wow. Um, what followed was like another moment of terror sure. because I think we both knew that we had been like falling in love. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. 21 at this point. Mm. We're both working for a church. He's the lead pastor of what is, yeah, the largest Southern Baptist church in wow. Indiana. Um, and, and we're both sitting there thinking like, you know, what the fuck have we gotten ourselves into? Holy shit. Wow. Um, so we, we kind of like backed away for about a week, but then over the course of the summer, I like stopped fighting it. Mm. Um, we kind of like stepped into that relationship secretly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and by the end of the summer, what happened was, that we had both kind of like given each other the space to decon start deconstructing our faith and like the church life and then also like start stepping into our identities as gay men mm -hmm. and also as a, as a couple. Yeah. Um, so after that summer, I went back to school. He resigned from the church. Mm. Um, we were both kind of thinking, like, if this could just go away quietly. Right. Um, it didn't. So yeah. the church staff had their... <laughs> I was suspicion. about to say, like, um, I'd be shocked if it did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he had already... His wife had known, and they had been in a place, like, near separation for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like... And that's still something I don't know a lot about. Um but with the church, when he stepped down, there were people who just, like, wouldn't accept it. And mm -hmm. so they, like, raided his office before he had a chance to go clean stuff out, like, went through all of his emails. And I don't think there was anything that was, like, that uh, serious in those things. But there were correspondence between us that led them to ask more questions. Um, I think at one point in that fall, um, I was... I was working, I worked at Jimmy John's and I turned around and three of the deacons were in the window. Oh my God. And just like there to confront me. Um, it was like very scandalous, um, very traumatic for me. Yeah. Um, they like show up at my work demanding that I tell them everything, demanding that, that I end so, things. Oh my God, that's so creepy and, and yeah. abusive. That's abusive. Let's just yeah. call it what it is. And these are people that I'd never even told that I was gay. You know, wow. there are people who are, who had been in my life for, you know, decades really mm. at that point. And then it, it was just like everything was crashing down. Tell me, brother, what matters more to you? Uh, tell me, sister, what matters more to you? Um, so, um, me and 
the former pastor actually ended up staying together for about three years. Wow. Um, which was, which was, and is still confusing because I tell the story to people and you can kind of see it in their eyes. It's like, mm. you know, even people who had interacted with us as a couple years later, mm. it's like, Oh yeah, like you guys are great. You know, there's an age difference, but like, that's not that uncommon. And they hear about how it started and it's like, Ooh, mm. you know, like, that seems maybe be like a little manipulative on his part. Mm. Um, you know, there was like a working relationship or whatever. Sure. I guess all that to say is like, it's just complex. It is. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking, I was like, it's just as complex as any other. I mean, not to downplay all of the, um, you know, all the factors involved in how you guys got together, but like it's equally as complex, not as not yeah. like specifically more complex because it was two men. And I feel like maybe whether people know it or not, that's part of what they're projecting, which is like, oh, mm-hmm. that's extra complex because it's an older man and a younger man. But if it was like an older man and a younger woman, I don't know. I don't know if they would if they would project that specific level of quote unquote complexity right. onto it. I'm like, it's right. just, it's the, it's honestly, it's the same. It's two human beings trying to build a relationship with one another who are experiencing mm-hmm. external in, external situations that are influencing what it is that they're trying to build together. Yeah. Um, it's just that simple. Yeah, totally. Mm. Um, and that's something that I, I dove right into the deep yeah. end with. Yeah. Um, so I think, to speak a little bit about like spiritual deconstruction mm-hmm. in that season, I, it was like, like a lot of people have said on this show, I mean, it, it's like like one moment you're surrounded by a network and family of people yeah. that you've spent your whole life around. And then the next mm-hmm. moment it's like 90% of them have yes. turned their backs on you. Yes. And that was certainly the case with me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I sorry. almost dropped out of school that semester. I was like, definitely depressed definitely traumatized yeah um people don't talk about how traumatizing it is to lose your entire support system in an instant yeah 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 i mean i was fortunate to have some friends and family stick around but i remember like the most salient feeling was like i'm not a good person Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. along with the fact that like i don't feel like i'm a christian anymore it's like i'm also gay and I also like you know was part of a church scandal and um and like I don't know that I have any transferable skills into the, mm, the real world that. now yeah um yeah so what happened was like I started volunteering at a local crisis center like mm. a call center um yeah. which was great like a great community to like end up in mm. and I remember there's this one moment that I want to share this is like nine months after everything happened. Um, and like a delivery man was coming in to like give us a package. And he was waiting on one of our directors to come down and sign. And I was telling him a little bit about what we do. And when he was leaving, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you're doing really good work here. Like, that's awesome. And I'd like the energy that I felt in that moment, like was, was just wild. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, it's been, a year since yeah. I've heard anybody tell me that I'm like good. Oh my God. In any way. And suddenly that moment, like seeing yourself through someone else's yeah. eyes, it disagrees with that story that you've been required 
to tell yeah. yourself for the past year, which is I'm not good. And suddenly this other person is like, no, I see you and you are actually very good. Yeah. 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 And, and it was like, I mean, I, I talk about that moment as being like hmm. the root of a lot of inspiration that yeah. has led to where I am now. Wow. Um, so that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. And I, I wish we could talk for so much longer. Um, we have, I have a couple of other calls as well, but, um, yeah. this is so, thank you so much for sharing oh this story with me and with, you know, us, our kind of greater audience like this, this feels especially poignant and timely today. Just some of the things I've seen pop up recently with some larger churches in, um, mm. in the country that are speaking out very publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. In ways that I f are really, really hurtful to hear um, things yeah. that are being said from the pulpit about how they believe that just inherently homosexuality is inherently immoral. And that's all I could think about when you were saying that the story yeah. you had to tell yourself is that you aren't good and you are good. You are so good. You are yeah. as good as you've always been. And there's nothing that will ever change that. And I'm so proud of you for being brave enough to believe that about that truth about yourself, even in light of everything you were taught and told about how that couldn't possibly be true, because it is true. It's the truest thing about you. And I'm, it's just, it's an honor to, to hold this space with you and to hear your story. And, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for saying all of that. Yeah, of um, course. I am ever grateful. Yeah. Um, and thanks. I, I just want to encourage you guys to keep doing this. I think yeah. it's even in like the few episodes I've listened to, it's been um, really powerful and compelling for me. Yeah. So oh, that's thank so you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And hopefully at some point we'll talk again. Yeah, you too. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. Thanks again so much for listening. We wanted to update everyone that our safe and private messaging space has launched for our patrons in an app called Slack. For more on that and to look into supporting what we're doing at the Airing of Grief, check us out on Patreon. Details about our goals and the other rewards we're offering can be found there. We're still doing our monthly video chats and releasing bonus content and all the other stuff we've been doing. If you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Erin Grief, and especially if you can give us a star rating and review on iTunes. They really do help so much to make us visible. You can see all episodes, companion essays, and get info about our team or how to share your own story with us at theairingofgrief.com. And we'll see you again after church next week for The Airing of Grief. <laughs> <laughs>